Today's passage is from Luke 16, verse 14 through the end of the chapter. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who, is, who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember, you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you, my father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, that that you have done all of this for us. And God, you have afforded us such great salvation. But Lord, too many of us, all of us uh, to one degree or another, do not understand what you've saved us from. We've bought into the lie that we can just be church people. And Lord, many who are sitting on the outside and maybe just be watching live stream right now, and who are just investigating you, don't really have a belief system, maybe just don't believe, maybe they're doubting whatever it is. But Lord, somehow they have gotten the wrong idea as well because of bad teaching, because of people who didn't represent you well, whatever it is, Lord. So Lord, I'm praying this morning that you would give us, that you would give us grace this morning to understand your word that you'd give us grace to be able to experience what you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning.
and uh, being a part of Outward Church. Um, yeah, just just glad glad to have you here. So, um, listen, we've been talking for a little while just about what's uh, what's happening here at Outward Church, what God's doing, and uh, so we announced last week that we, God willing, are planting a church in Silverton, Oregon, uh, this uh, in in the next uh, few days. Uh, that kind of thing. I said May, end of May or June, or we we weren't sure exactly, but we uh, officially have a date. Uh, if everything goes as planned, and it is June 6th that we will be starting a church in uh, Silverton. Insert applause. That was so lame. That was so lame. Yeah, we need, I don't know what we need in this church, but it seems like less white people would be in order. So, um, so uh, you think I'm kidding. I uh, am dead serious, but um, in any case... Uh, and then, yeah, so we're, we're planning a church here. Had some great meetings this last week. Just excitement uh, from a lot of the folks that we've talked to. Um, and, uh, and I think there's some nervousness as well. I mean, there's nervousness. There's also like this grieving process that I think, I'm not even sure that those of us who've been a part of the church for a long time know that we're going to go through because there's a sense where, where some, uh, some folks are going to be out there. Um, instead of here, and so there's going to be relationships that are, um, get, you know, a little bit distanced in that. Um, there's going to be people that you don't always see on stage here. I'll be preaching here uh, most of the time. I'll be preaching some out there. That's and all of that could change as well. Um, we'll be sharing worship teams. We'll be doing all that stuff. And and I think we need to recognize that like God's calling us to something that's greater than ourselves. That's greater than our comfort. That's greater than, uh, than us just wanting to have a good time at church, than us just wanting uh, to have this person here or, or that person here. And not that that's wrong. I mean, that's, that's godly. That's biblical. That's community. That means that what's, what's happening needs to happen. Uh, it needs, it needs, needs to take place. That means we've built, uh, we haven't built, built I, I want to be really careful here. God has built an amazing community by the power of his spirit, people that love Jesus and live outward, which means that we need to go outward. We need to go outward. We need to take the message of Jesus Christ to the, the city and to surrounding cities and all of that. And so I, I just, I want to encourage you in this. And that is that when folks go from here and go out there, that's going to create some holes here. Uh, that's going to create some holes here that need to be filled. And some of you may have been sitting on the sidelines. You may have been thinking like, this seems like a, a larger church. And so they've got this stuff figured out. We really don't. Um, we're really not that good at what we do. Um, we'd love to have you and your gifting uh, come and humbly learn how to serve and how to, uh, how to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives. So I want to invite you to be a part of it. I want to invite you to, uh, to enter in. Because as I said last week, like this is the purpose of the church, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you're not engaged in the work of ministry, then uh, I don't know that you're experiencing what God has for you. In fact, I know that you're not. I was trying to be humble there. But now I know. I know that that's, that's what's happening uh, in your life. Um, and one of those uh, holes that's happening right now, see, when, ha when COVID took place, everybody said, I don't want to be around kids 
because they're probably carrying COVID and, and stuff like that. So I don't want to serve in kids. And so uh, you can wear a respirator. You could wear, you know, 17 masks if you want. You could get a vaccine. You could do whatever you want. But we, uh, I, we don't normally like to say things like this because we don't want to come with our hand out to people. But like, we need people to serve in kids. Uh, we have through second grade today, we don't have third grade and uh, third through, uh, I guess it's fifth. Uh, right now, just because we don't have enough volunteers, people are bailing, uh, summer's coming, losing a bunch of Corbin students. Glad you guys are here today. This is your last week, right? No? Yes, for you, not you. Okay, yeah, <laughs> most of the Corbin students, we're glad that you're here. There's other students in here, I'm sure, but, uh, but we're losing some of those folks that, that help out. So we, we need your help. Would love to have it. I don't know how else to tell you, but it would be really awesome if some folks can step up and help us make that happen. See, here's the thing. Here's what happens. People come to church. They got jacked up lives. That's all of us, really. But, they got, but there, there's people that come, and they need Jesus. They don't need to be distracted by their kids for uh, about uh, an hour and 15 minutes on a good day, all right? They, they don't need that distraction. You get to preach the gospel to those kids, and you're like, I'm not a very good preacher. That's fine. I was terrible when I started. You should have seen how bad my preaching was when I got started, and, and maybe you're still thinking, like, it hasn't gotten much better, Pastor Matt. Like, that's fine, too. I don't care. You're still here. I don't know why, but it must be the power of the Spirit really working in your life, but... Um, uh, in any case, you get to preach the gospel. I should get to my sermon. I'm four minutes in here, and I'm losing time. So we're in uh, Luke chapter uh, 16, beginning in verse 14. Two weeks ago, my brother Tim, my literal, uh, literal uh, and little uh, brother Tim, uh, spoke on the first part of uh, uh, Luke chapter 16, um, and uh, it's about money. And that was about the right use of money, and today is a little bit about the abuse of money, although we're not really going to talk about money at all, but it, it really shows the abuse uh, of money in here. And really what this is going to address is, how do I justify my existence? What does it look like when I justify my own existence? And you might say, I don't even know what that means, uh, you, you know, tell me more, uh, that kind of thing, but... What we're trying to do is, every day in our lives, we're trying to make it so that our lives matter. I went uh, through my, in my early 20s, I was getting into construction and all that stuff, and I felt like I'd, I'd done some, uh, I felt pretty proud of what I had accomplished. Got into like management really early and, and that stuff, and came to this point where I was like, that was super fun, and I think I could do this for the rest of my life. But like buildings, I mean, it's a monument to the work that I put into this, but that's all it is. It doesn't matter. Like God put something in my heart that said, that doesn't ultimately matter, Matt. I, I felt like God was calling me to something else. I felt like God was, was calling me to, to something more. I was trying to justify my existence. I was trying to say, I matter, and I was doing that through my work, even though God gave me great skills. I, I, I loved that but ultimately, I did not feel like my existence was being justified well. And so I picked ministry. And I said, I want to be in ministry. It took me like a decade to get into ministry. I don't know why anybody let me in. But that was my new justification. That was my new justification. Like, if I get into doing church work, if I could be a minister 
then I would feel justified. I'm trying to justify my existence. And every little role that I was given in the early days, it was, there was like this sense, and like leaders would tell me, people who were over me, like, Matt, it feels like this is more to you than serving people. This is about you feeling good about you. This is about you feeling good about what you're doing. And I was trying to justify my existence, even through good things like doing ministry. And each one of us, has that same type of issue. You may be trying to justify your existence through the success that you have in business. That's a big one in America today. Justify your existence through a promotion. Justify your existence uh, through uh, a relationship. If I could get married, then I would feel justified. And then as soon as you get that, if I could have uh, kids... Uh, that are well-pleasing to me and the people around me, then I would feel justified. If my family looks a certain way and if I have the right house and if I have and if I have, and if, if these things are there, then I would feel justified. I would feel like I have made it. And what Jesus is gonna speak to here is about where self-justification leads us. In fact, he says this, and, well, he doesn't say anything yet. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things, everything that Jesus had just said prior to this, and they ridiculed him. They hear Jesus' word and they just go, who the heck do you think you are telling us what to do with our money or how, how to do it? Who, who, the, who the heck do you think you are to tell us that we're serving another God. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. Who do you think you are saying to that, uh, saying that to us? And Jesus responds very directly to them, and he's responding directly to you and I, and he says, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You believe that your justification, that your justification for your existence happens through what you do, through who you are, through your accomplishments, through your relationships, the people that you hang out with. You are those who justify yourselves before men. And what's Jesus saying? The implication is here that your justification is coming from you, and that is not right. Your justification must come from God. He says, but God knows your hearts. God knows that you have a justification problem, that you are justifying yourself. You're trying to make yourself matter. You're trying, you're trying to say, I, my existence matters. I'm here for a reason. <clears throat> I'm here for a reason. And Jesus implies here, God knows your hearts. God knows that you have a justification problem. For what is exalted among men is an abomination, a really bad thing, in the sight of God. So this passage, Jesus lays out for us right there, is meant to lead us from self-justification to God-justification. It's meant to lead us from being totally into like my work, my stuff, my things. And it's meant to lead us into being justified by God. Now, he's going to say some confusing things here. 
all of which we're not going to totally cover, I don't believe. But there, there's, there's more time for that at, at another time. We can't cover absolutely every little thing. But what he says is this. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. So you have the law and the prophets. You have the, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, anyway. Uh, and then on to the, the prophets, all of the prophets in the Old Testament. And they were until John. John the Baptist was the last prophet. That's what that means. Uh, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. What is Jesus saying there? Why did he just say that? All right. What Jesus is talking about here is he's saying, what you're doing is the opposite of what God is doing. What, the way that you're trying to find justification in your life is the opposite of the way that God would justify you. And what you think is right is actually completely wrong in God's eyes. And so he says, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached now. There's a, there's a new thing that has come on the scene. It is the kingdom of God. It is preached now and everyone forces his way into it. A very enigmatic statement. It's confusing. Even commentators are split at least two ways. I think there's additional ways. Like, like, what did Jesus mean when he said there? And this I do not do very often, but I'm going to in this sermon. I'm going to say what I think. I think that this is what it means. I think that Jesus is saying this, that entrance into the kingdom of God, enter, leaving your kingdom of self-justification, leaving your kingdom of saying, I'm going to build my life on my terms and I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to let everybody know that I matter. The opposite of that is entering into the kingdom of God and entrance into the kingdom of God is antithetical. It is the opposite. It is against the grain of life as we know it. Going into the kingdom of God is different than doing your own thing and being self-justified. It's going against the grain. Why does he say he forces his way into it? Because of this, if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, there has to be some clear thinking on this. Like, I, I'm no longer doing this, now I'm doing this. It's going against the grain of life. I'm doing the opposite of what all of life is sending me into. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that our culture is bleeding into here. Our culture is bleeding into our hearts. We are from our culture. We can't help but have our culture in our hearts and in our minds. And our entire culture is leading us toward abomination and not towards the things of God. Our entire culture is saying, go this way. And if you don't go this way, you're a bigot. You're a racist. You don't belong in society. We reject you. We're going to send you into relational hell. That's what our world is, is saying. Be clear about this. This world has a hell that it will send you to. It will banish you. It will send you away. Let's look at what Jesus has to say here. So then he says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. That seems like another difficult statement. I got to be quick here, but basically it's Jesus talking to these, these men, these people in this context, 
And he's basically saying, you've been waffling on the law. You've been waffling on this. You think that you're, you're, you're perfect on this, but you are not perfect. You have not kept my law perfectly. It would be easier for heaven and earth to go away than for God's law to go away. That's what, that's what he's saying. So then he says, for example, verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, that's a can of worms. We're not teaching on divorce today. You may be sitting here going, dang, I'm divorced. What is the pastor? What is this church? What does God think about me? And I just want to tell you that the grace of Jesus covers all sin. And so if you've received Jesus Christ by faith, you don't have to worry about that, but we should probably talk about that. I'll just leave that right there. Now, the next thing is this, is that why does Jesus mention this? Why does he talk about it? And it's because he's, he's, he wants to get the hackles up of these guys, whatever the hack, I don't know what hackles are. What are hackles and where are they on the body? Uh, but he wants to, you know, get these guys to listen just a little bit. And he wants to tell them, Hey, take for example, this in their day, there were two schools of thought, two ways that you could treat divorce and remarriage and so forth. Uh, one school of thought um, was way more lenient. I'm not going to get into the other one. One school of thought was way more lenient. That was probably the people that he was speaking to. Very lenient on divorce, which meant this. This is well documented that if your wife displeases you in any way, because divorce was enacted by men, if your wife displeases you in any way, you can divorce her. If she makes a bad meal, if you find someone else more attractive, if you whatever. Jesus says this, he just like drops a bomb and he says, I'll just leave this here. Like, like, like I'll just discuss amongst yourselves. Let's just see what happens. What? What are you talking about? That, how can that be? And Jesus is, Jesus is saying, see, see, now listen to my story that I'm about to tell you. Remember what he said earlier. You are those who justify yourselves. You take the way of the world. You think that you have it all right. You think that you're good people, but it's not true because you're not even following the most uh, simple of rules. And they begin to self-justify. They begin to tell themselves, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I haven't really violated the law. I haven't really done anything wrong. It, it, like we do. You ever get in an argument with your spouse if you're married? And then, and then, like, you have the argument after the argument. I don't know. I tell you, you know, like, I, well, yeah, I'll tell you, you did that. You know, that, that's, that's what we do with God, by the way. So, all right, we'll keep going. Um, Jesus begins to tell a story. And this is so great about Jesus. Jesus just, he says, let me tell you a story. And the implication is this, you're in the story. <laughs> it's about you. So put your big boy pants on. So there was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Now, I don't know about you. Purple's not my favorite color. I don't like to wear it. Um, I don't know. It just, I, uh, it's just not flattering on my figure. Um, but... Um, Purple in that day was a, uh, a very expensive color because it came from some type of sea mussel and they, 
you know, dyed their clothing in that. So if you had purple clothing, you were, uh, you were a hot commodity. You had fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Uh, so this guy had it going on. So this guy was a rich man. He had everything lined out for him. And at his gate, there's another thing that he has. He has a gate, uh, a gated entry to, to his home. That's normally, even today, it's, it's seen as something that's, uh, you know, when you got the little push button thing when your friends come over and like they have to, you know, call in and say, can I come in and hang out with you? And he's like, I'll open the gate for you. That, that's kind of a sign of wealth. It was in that day too. They, they didn't have the intercom though. Um, and his gate, uh, I'm sorry, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. Stop for a second. This is totally interesting. I don't know if you caught it or not, but this is a, a parable. Some people are split on whether it's a parable or whether it's a real story that Jesus is telling. I don't think it's a real story. I think it is a parable, and it's a very interesting parable because of this. There is no parable, no story that Jesus tells that implicates us. There is no story other than this one in the entire Bible, in the whole life of Jesus, that names a person. There are no named people in that, except this one. Out of all of the parables, there's only one parable that has any named person in it, and it is Lazarus. It is Lazarus, which, by the way, means God helps or God is my help. So Lazarus, God is my help, is the poor man. He's sitting at the gate. The rich man is covered in purple. He has fine linen. He eats sumptuously. He has some gates. Lazarus, on the other hand, has no gates, purple, linen, or sumptuous, anything. And he is covered in sores, it says. This man is covered in sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Didn't have enough food. He's very hungry. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Like, Jesus is building up this story. Like, this guy's in a bad way. Not only did he not have anything to eat, but dogs are licking him, right? He has nothing to to eat, but these dogs are whatever. Anyway, uh, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's, or Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. What, why is there one named person in this story? When you're, do, when you're reading your Bible or when you're studying the Bible, one of the things that you have to do is that instead of kind of glossing over things, they're like, I don't know what that means is that you have to ask some questions about it. Like, why is there a named person in this story? And it is the person that seems like they matter least in society. Jesus is saying something. Jesus is saying, here is this guy whom God has helped. Here is this other guy, and he's a rich man. That's the only title that they have for him. That's the only, that's the only title that Jesus gives him. And why is that? Tim Keller has great sermons on this, many sermons on this passage, learned so much from him. What he has to say is he says this, the reason why he's called a rich man here and he's not given a name is because of this. That's all that he ever was and that's all that he ever will be. He was just a rich man. 
He was only a rich man. He wasn't named. He didn't have a self outside of what he was doing. Like he built an identity on the fact that he was rich. Like that was who he is. That was his identity. What is Jesus pointing out here for us? That those who enter the kingdom of God are people who have an identity that is helped by, that is assisted by, that is justified by God. The rich man's identity was built by his riches. That's all that he was. He didn't have anything else. That's, that, that is what he was. So what's the problem with that? The problem with that, and the reason why it implicates us, is because of this. But because you can build a life, you can build an identity, you can try to create a self on whatever you want. And just as I said, the world, it, we are steeped in this world. And those who break into the kingdom of God do so forcefully. They go against the grain. What is the grain? The grain is this. I've built a great business, and I have wealth, and I'm respected, and therefore, I, I have a self. I have an identity. I've built a great family. I'm a father, and I've built this, this great family, and look at what I've done. But all you are is a father. But all you are is a businessman. But all you are is a mother. But all you are is fill in the blank. All you are, let's, let's get real, real personal here. All you are is a right-wing Republican. All you are is a left-wing Democrat. All you are is a sexual identity. All you are is who you have sex with, where you go to eat, all you are, all you are, all you are. You are those, I don't normally like to use you, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But what you find as being great, God looks at it and says, that's an abomination because of this. You were not created to be a sexual identity. You were not created to be a business. You were not created to be just a relationship. You were not created to be riches. You were not created to be any of those things. That, that's too low for humanity. And what happens in those circumstances is this, is that there's people sitting at the gate who are suffering, the gate of your home, the gate of your business, the gate of your relationship, and everything, every thought of everyone else, every thought of, of serving someone else, every thought of humbly receiving anything does not come into your mind. You might say, well, I've been pretty humble at times. Well, that statement wasn't very humble, by the way. I, I don't know. You're still justifying yourself, so let's just catch you with that. But there's people at the gate who are sitting there hungry. And transfer that to, you got a business, you, it, it's your self-justification, who's being left out? Is it your family? 
is that you've sacrificed family for business. In the economy of God, riches are not the problem. It's when riches become my self-justification. Riches become a tool, as Tim was talking about, for the purpose of the kingdom of God. There's people that are left in our dust, and they're hungry. And so what happens here? And in Hades, being in torment. Let, let me back up. Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He was probably thrown into a garbage dump. He's homeless. Just uh, no grave, just burnt. The rich man had a funeral, no doubt. He, w- he died and was buried. The other, it doesn't say, but... but the soul of this man goes and he's carried by Abraham. Why is it important that it's Abraham? Abraham is seen as the father of the Jewish religion. He's seen as the father. And so he's, he's being sent to his forefathers. So he's with his forefathers. The rich guy also dies. And where is he? He is in Hades. He's in hell. He is in hell. Something that we don't talk about very much, something that uh, Jesus talks about it more than anybody else in the Bible, by the way, is something that's very uncomfortable. But it says that he's in Hades, he's in hell, he's in torment, and it says, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, you could look at this in a couple of different ways. You could look at it in a literal sense and say, when I go to hell, I'll be able to see people in heaven. Like, and something like, and I don't think that's what it's saying at all. So don't take it literal like that. And maybe it is, and I guess we'll find out when we get there, but we shouldn't build the theology of, of the, the, <laughs> the view uh, restrictions in hell. So uh, where am I? Okay. Uh, so let's, let, let's not do that. But what I do think it's t- showing us is it's showing us a, a feeling. It's showing us a, a, a sense of what's taking place there. I do think it's describing something that's terrible. I believe it's describing hell. It's describing torment. And when it, meant, when it talks about hell, when the Bible talks about hell, oftentimes there's stuff about fire in there. You know, a, a lake of fire, burning, torment, all of, all of this stuff. Tim Keller uh, says oftentimes, he says, uh, you don't believe in hell, do you? Uh, that there's fire and burning? He says, oh, no, 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 I, 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 I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I actually think it'll be much worse than that. So it's, it's, it's not, not just this. I love this bumper sticker that I saw many years ago that says, I know hell is hot, but is it humid? Like, like... Like, like I, I'd be okay there if it, you know, I enjoy the heat, I don't love the humidity. Like, I was just down in Charleston with my, uh, my wife, Charleston, South Carolina, we were visiting a church plant down there and, and so forth, and, and so it got a little humid, so that, that was uncomfortable. I can see why you wouldn't like hell if it was humid, but in any case, so, uh, so he sees Lazarus at his side, and he calls out, and he says, Father Abraham, don't think about that song if you grew up in church. Had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, have, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And what is the mercy that he wants? Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. 
for I am in anguish in this flame. Now think about what's taking place here. The guy has gone through life. He's been selfish. He's been justifying himself through all of his stuff. There should be a real clue here. Here's another thing. Jesus is telling a story that implicates the people that he's talking to and us. The people that he's talking to are Pharisees. They are Jews. They're well-off. They're well-dressed. They're people who fear God on some level. They're people who know their scriptures on some level. These are God-fearing church people that Jesus is talking to. And Jesus just told a story that said, hey, by the way, the homeless guy outside of your gates, he's in heaven, and uh, dudes like you are going to hell. Does this mean that rich people are going to hell and poor people are going to heaven? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying something else saying that people that justify themselves find themselves there. Now, you can look at this, this idea of hell and you could say, I really don't like the idea of hell. I don't like the idea of how could a loving God, God send people to hell? And the, the question back is, how could a loving God not send people to hell? I mean, have you ever sent, uh, seen uh, the movie Cinderella, the one from 2015? I've had to watch it a couple times with my kids. And uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. I've, I've, I've seen a, a movie like that. But when you get to the end of the movie, like I, I found myself really hating the wicked stepmother. I don't know if anybody here liked the wicked stepmother. You're probably in trouble, but um, uh, <laughs> you should be careful. But the wicked stepmother, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like this woman needs to be banished. She needs to, she needs to die, her and her, 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 uh, her kids and all that stuff. You want there to be justice. You want, you want her to be banished from the kingdom. See, the Cinderella story really doesn't make any sense without the idea of there being judgment. Like the wicked stepmother needs to be judged. That should not have happened. That should not have happened to Cinderella, right? And the same thing happens here. Lazarus should not have had to sit there for ages and ages and never be fed and have sores that were all over his body. Lazarus should not have had to deal with that because there was somebody right there who was a fearer of God who should have been able to reach out and show some compassion. And what happens? Nothing. He shows no compassion to him. And so what's taking place here? We have a rich man who's been justifying himself and, and his riches have really gotten him to the point where he finally realizes, I have made it and it's just here for me to enjoy. And he's completely missed the point. And God is saying something here to us. He's saying, if you build your identity, if you build your life, if you get your justification from yourself, you will live a selfish self-indulgent life and never really enter into the kingdom of God. But then you look at hell and you go, what's happening here? You know what's funny about, about uh, the rich man? Is that he doesn't ask to get out. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. The commentators point this out. It, it's, he says, have mercy on me, but his mercy is related to his comfort 
right in that second. And it's a momentary comfort that he asked for. The momentary comfort that he asked for is he says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and send him to me so that he can put it on my tongue. He's not asking to get out. He's not, he's not saying, I'm so sorry that I missed the point of all of this. No, what's happening here is that hell for this guy is a place of his own choosing. Hell is a place of your own choosing. It's, it's a thing that you've always done, that, you, that God finally gives you over to. That's what it says in Romans chapter 1. Over and over again, when it talks about why do we need the saving grace of Jesus Christ through the cross, burial, and resurrection, and it's because of this, because we have gone after the things that God has created and not gone after the God, the true God. And it says three times, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. What's God giving them up to? God is giving them over to the thing that they've always wanted. See, God doesn't necessarily send people to hell just outright. God allows your choices to take you to hell. God allows you to take yourself there. Hell is just the series of choices that you've already made. And this guy seems to exemplify this because of this. I don't want out. I just want momentary comfort, which is all that he ever wanted in his riches. I just want to be happy for this moment. Do you know the sins that we, we commit? It's just momentary. It's momentary fulfillment. It's momentary pleasure. It's temporary indulgence. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. And that's all that he wants. But the second thing that he's doing here is he still hasn't gotten the message. He still hasn't gotten the reality. Why is Lazarus not saying, I'm sorry, why is the rich man not saying to Lazarus, bro, I'm so sorry I walked past you so many times. I walked past you so many times. I saw, I saw the sores. I saw that you didn't have clothes. I saw that you didn't have food. I, I saw it. I knew I should have done something, and I didn't. That's not what Lazarus says. Lazarus, that's not, I'm sorry. That's not what the rich man says. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really angry with myself there for a second. Like, that was weird. Um, Freudian slip. Um, the rich man doesn't even speak to Lazarus. He speaks to Abraham, and he says, hey, would you tell Lazarus to come and fulfill my needs? He's still using people. This might get uncomfortable, the way that a mom uses her kids to self-justify. The way that a dad uses his work and tramples all over his family to self-justify. The way that people use pornography for momentary pleasure to self-justify. I mean, we could just go down the line, we could just go down the list. He's in hell, it's obvious, he's lost. There's no thought over what, that's a really good time to examine your life choices, right? 
I'm in a fiery pit. It's really hot in here. I really want to drink. And he still can't do it. He still can't. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. In your lifetime, rich man, that's all you ever were because you were after a momentary pleasure. You got some good things there. And the implication is God has helped Lazarus. And Lazarus was a God-fearer. Lazarus was a man who was connected with that idea, even in the midst of his poverty. Lazarus in like manner, uh, in, in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. What's Jesus saying? Once death comes, there's no changing your mind. It wouldn't matter if he changed his mind. You don't want to wait. I said it wasn't literal, but I think there's an aspect of it like Jesus is saying, hey, it, it's time to think through your life choices now before you, you pass. Because once you pass and you have all the pomp and circumstance that happens at your funeral and people say, he was a great guy and he built a great business. And she was a great mom, and she did all those great things. Once you pass through that, then the reality of what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God comes to fruition right then and there. That happens right there, and you begin to see the reality of what's actually taking place. And Jesus is warning them, and he's warning you. Do not put off salvation through Jesus Christ. Do not put off justification through Jesus Christ. There is a chasm. You cannot get there. You will be in torment. It is not comfortable. It might be worse than fire. I'm not joking around. I don't think Jesus is joking around. Hell's a real place. That's why we do ministry in Silverton. That's why we serve in children's ministry. I'm not saying you're going to hell if you don't serve in children's ministry. But that would be a great motivator, would it not? Just be careful. But I don't know why I'm making jokes and serious points. Don't put it off. That's why we do ministry. That's why we serve. Because we're keeping people. We want to say, hey, you're going down the wrong road. You're going down the road of self-justification, and we have the answer to this in Jesus Christ. He's everything. He can justify you. You no longer have to go after your work at the expense of your family. You no longer have to go after your family at the expense of anybody else. I got to keep going. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. Okay? And it's so weird because he doesn't ask out of this, but he says, but I want other people to know. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to, into this place of torment. I want you to go, and I want you to warn them, and I, I, want, I want you to send Lazarus, still ordering Lazarus around, and I, and I want you to send him. I want you to bring him back from the dead. 
And, and, I, and I think if he came back from the dead, I think my brothers would listen to him. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. Ordering Abraham around now, that's weird. But if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. All right, if somebody, if, if something really crazy happens, like if God does a miracle right here and right now, then I'll believe him. Like if I see something happen, if I see somebody raised from the dead and they come out and they're just like, you need to believe in Jesus, like a, a zombie or something like that, then I'd be like, yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm there. Okay, I got, I got it. I got it. I, I, I'll believe it. And to think that way is like, yeah, I, I think I probably would change some things if something like, that's a life-changing event, right? And what, what happens here? If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's pretty interesting. If the people who are still alive in this guy's life, if you don't hear Moses and the prophets, what's that mean? It's the Ten Commandments. It's Micah 6.8. He has shown thee, O man, what, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. He did none of those things. If they don't hear from Moses and the prophets, if they don't see that, they could be standing at the tomb of Jesus Christ. You could be standing at the tomb. Jesus is put in there. The stone's rolled into place. There's some guards there. You get a front row seat. You're sitting down, all of a sudden, whoa, stone rolls away, Jesus comes out, and he says to you, Jim Bob, whatever your name is, I don't know, not a lot of Jim Bobs here, Sarah, whatever your name is, believe in me. Jesus says, if you don't hear Moses and the prophets, you're not going to hear me. He's using the same word about his resurrection. You're not going to be convinced about me. You're not going to be convinced about following God if you don't hear what Moses and the prophets say. Now, what do Moses and the prophets say? Moses and the prophets give us a reason. They give us a, a law. See, Moses is often called the law. But what's the law? The law is this. Like, you should love God. You should not worship idols. You know, don't serve anything else. And then as a result, you don't break any of the other Ten Commandments, like having adultery, killing people, lying, stealing, all, all of those things. If you haven't heard that, if you haven't seen the reality of that, if you haven't seen that, like, that's what I want from you. I want you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. If you don't see that, if you don't understand that, then you don't see the need for Isaiah 53, which is a prophet, which is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, 
He was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah 53.3. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Lazarus, right? Sitting at the gate. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That sounds a lot like Lazarus. Who is this person? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Who is this person? That's so much like Lazarus. He has taken on all of these things. He took our griefs. He took, our, he took all of this stuff. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. See, the prophets there, Isaiah, shows us something. That Jesus becomes Lazarus to atone for the fact that I'm a self-justifier. I'll just be honest with you. I fight it every day. I'm a self-justifier. I try to justify myself to my wife. I try to justify myself to my kids. I try to justify myself to my, my church, to the world. I'm successful. I matter. Jesus says, what looks good to you is an abomination to God. All of the good things that I do in my life so many times are just for me. And I break the law. And I don't honor God. And I'm not right with him. But the prophets show me, and even in the law as well, shows us that Jesus became like Lazarus so that I could find this out. Romans 8.1 for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those. Why won't the resurrected Christ standing in front of you save you just on his own? Why wouldn't somebody coming back from the dead convince you because you haven't been convinced of how much you need him. You're good because you've been self-justifying for a long time. I'm good because I've been self-justifying for a long time. If this says anything, it says this. We read our Bibles to see how much we need a savior. And relief comes in passages like Isaiah 53 and in the Gospels when we see the perfect Son of God being beaten, when we see the perfect Son of God taking on the sores, taking on the hunger, taking on the brutality that Lazarus experienced for us. He experienced it for us. We're going to go to the Lord's table here. I want to invite you to uh, come forward here. 
just as we're, uh, we got ushers that are going to bring communion here, and we'll just ask you to hop up and, and grab it. Here, we're going to invite the band forward. Go ahead and hop up. Grab, grab communion. Let's do this together. We'll partake of it together here in just a moment. Just grab it and come back to your seat. Isaiah 53, 6, the next verse that I didn't read to you yet, says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have tried to justify ourselves. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity, the sin, the wrongdoing, the overlooking of the Lazarus, the overlooking of our family, the misuse of our finances, the Lord has laid on him all of those things. You are loved. You are cared about. Jesus died for you. You are forgiven. You, he has given you amazing grace. He poured it out on the cross. There's no condemnation. If you feel a sense of guilt, let Jesus resolve that in his cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we come to you this morning and we just recognize our own sin. Lord, I pray that these people right here and online would, uh, would allow themselves to go to that place that says, I see where I've tried to justify my existence on my own and I see the sin that comes out of it. And maybe if I don't, Lord, would you show it to me? I pray that we would be thinking that. And show us our sin. Oh, Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Please save us. Please allow me to live differently. Jesus says to you this morning, I already have. It is finished. He says, I gave my body and I allowed it to be broken for you. Do this in remembrance with me. Let's partake of the body. And not only that, but just to make sure that you know I bled out and died for your sin. And I took the penalty that you deserved. I took the wrath of God himself. And I bled and died for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says, partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. 
Lord, we're asking this morning that you would change us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.